We are in 1 Peter chapter 1, as you know. Uh, last week we went through verses 3 through 5. Today we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12. And you're thinking, really, Pastor, all the way through verse 12? Yeah, let's get going. Just follow along as I read from the New King James Version of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. And Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts today. As we look at this passage, as we seek to understand, Lord, and we know that that can only take place as you, by your Spirit, open our eyes, that you open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to actually see and understand the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, have your way in our hearts, we pray, as you pour your spirit out upon us. And Lord, might we learn, might we be taught, might we understand, and Lord, might we be given the ability, the enablement in you to act on these truths. And so, God, we love you, we thank you, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we begin here in verse 6 this morning, you know, by way of introduction, I, I, I just want to read verses 3 through 5, because um, rather than going back and just talking about what happened or what we did look at, let's just read those three verses, uh, follow along as I read, and, and then we'll go ahead and move into uh, the teaching this morning. Those verses 3, three through 5. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, 
for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And you'll recall that as we talked about this inheritance, we, we, we noted that this inheritance is nothing less than God himself. He is our inheritance. We spoke about the, the permanent nature of this inheritance because of, well, the permanent nature of God himself. And as we did so, we looked into those things uh, this past week. And as we see Peter in, uh, continuing here in the sixth verse, writing, In this you greatly rejoice. It's in this reality of this salvation, this inheritance that God has given to us. In this we rejoice, though... Now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Now, as we read that together, and, and that's one of, the, one of the difficult things about, you know, as we go week to week through the scriptures, you know, um, we, we, we can lose the continuity at times, you know. I mean, it, gets, it can get kind of chopped up. You know what I mean? Because, you know, a Sunday we're doing this, and then the week happens, and the next Sunday we, we just follow along, you know, and... We don't really have the time to, 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 to talk about what happened last week, what we talked about last week, and continue on. Yet, we want to make reference to those things, but, but, but there's a very real connection here. It's because of the inheritance, and really, that is something that is critical for understanding what we read you know, pretty much all the way through the, through the uh, uh, letter of First Peter. The idea of the inheritance that we've been given. And, and so... In this we rejoice, we rejoice in that, even though, and we still rejoice, this is Peter's intent in writing, we still rejoice even though we're going through trials because we're thinking about the inheritance. We know that we have an inheritance. We know that we have salvation. We understand what God has done for us, and we rejoice in that. And the suffering, the trial, does not Take away the joy. Now, as I say that, all of us go through trials. All of us go through testing. All of us go through temptation. Sometimes we fall to that temptation. And we certainly are, as we see here in verse 6, grieved by various trials, even though it may be just for a little while. But this, I, this idea of uh, just a, a for a little while, I want to just kind of look at that for a moment. Though now for a little while. We know that the Bible speaks about seasons. Ecclesiastes refers to this. There's a time for every, every purpose under heaven, right? We go through seasons, and, and Peter is writing this as, or in that way, it is a season. The trials that we face are seasons, only last for a season. Paul, writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 18, wrote this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children... Then heirs, 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that a beautiful passage? And, and it captures what we're looking at here in First Peter very well with the idea of the inheritance that we have, joint heirs with Christ. And we have these, this inheritance, and, and yet... We go through these trials, but as we look to the future, and this is something that, that, that is all a part of what Peter's writing here uh, in, in 1 Peter. There's a reality of the suffering. There's a reality of the gift that God has given to us. There's a reality of the life that we have in this inheritance because we have him. We have his life in us. But we go through trials. We go through pain. We go through suffering. But as we keep our sight on the things ahead of us, keep your eyes on the things above and not below, as Paul writes to the Colossians. As we look there, then that enables us to go through these trials, even with joy in our hearts. doesn't mean that we don't have pain. It doesn't mean that we're not affected by the pain. It doesn't mean that we don't weep. Weeping may endure for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. And that joy is there because of the reality of who God is and what he has done for us. So in order to experience the joy more fully, we've got to keep our eyes on things above. And as we are going through the trials that we have, we can't get away from them. But in the midst of it, we can look above, and we can look into our future. doesn't mean we get our little crystal ball. We get the Word of God. He tells us what our future is, right? And as he does, we can endure all of this with joy. Even to the point of Paul writing to the Second Corinthians in chapter 4. Verses, verses 17 and 18. Now, before we read this, as he writes this letter to the Corinthians, he has gone through probably 20 years of trials at the hand of the Jewish leaders. And he says right here, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What an important truth that is. Everything we see is temporary. Everything. I, and Peter writes in Second Peter, we'll be getting to this later, but he, he talks about how, how uh, the, the heavens and, and, and the, the, the earth itself, the earth itself is going to be burned up with an exceeding heat. I mean, everything we see is going to be burned up. Everything. Our, our, the, the bodies that we have, they're not going to exist any longer. We're going to get new ones. 
But all of this and everything on this earth is going to be destroyed, and the Lord is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here in terms of my notes, uh, but, but I, I, those are just things that we have to remember, things that we have to remember. The things that we see are temporary. The things that we experience in this world in terms of the trials, the testings, the, the tribulations, the pain, you know, the discomfort, the sorrow. I mean, it, it, it's all going to go. And, and we know it. as we go through the revelation, we see and we, we know that, that, that there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. We understand that. And we do need to endure it now. I mean, and, and we have it. Every one of us in this room goes, go, goes through it. We, we do. Because we're in this world. But we can't get away from it. And, and, and you know, I, I, um, I have to share with you guys, you know, uh, uh, the things that I've needed to go through in the last few years with, with, with my wife getting sick and finally this past June going, to be, going home to be with the Lord. never gone through anything so painful yet yet you know I a smile will come on my face when I consider where my precious bride is right now you know and this joy inexpressible I'm, I'm learning that I'm learning that but looking to the promise, looking to the reality of the inheritance, the life that we have. And she even now is not really experiencing the fullness of it. She will, but she's experienced a lot more of it than I am, than we are right now. She's in his presence. You know, and, and, and there are things that, that, that are taking place you know, in terms of, you know, our, our loved ones that have gone before us because they had faith in Jesus, they're with the Lord now. We know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But you know what? That presence with the Lord, we don't understand what the physical form of it is. The rapture hasn't happened yet. And so, you know, Paul talks about the rapture, that the dead in Christ will rise first. So our, the, our, our bodies are going to be reassembled and uh, somehow and it's going to be, uh, assembled in a way of God's first intention. We're, it's going to be a glorified body, and our souls, our spirits will be joined to that body. And, but what, is there a body now? We don't know. All I know is she's in his presence. She is going to get a glorified body like the rest of us who have faith in Christ are going to get a glorified body. And we're going to spend eternity with him. At the end of the book of Revelation, we have somewhat of a, 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 a very brief description of the new Jerusalem and what it's going to be like. The best part about it is the fact that God's going to be there. Jesus, is, your, your, your Savior is going to be there. That's the best part of it. You know, we can talk about the streets of gold and the, the gates and, the, and, the, and all the gems and pearls and all that. Kind of, I mean, it's like Jesus is there. That's the key. And so, as we look to those things, we are given strength to endure. 
to endure. And, and I've alluded to this with you guys before uh, out of Hebrews chapter 2, which tells us that, uh, chapter 12, excuse me, uh, chapter 12 that tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the shame of the cross. You know, and, and I believe in the same way, you know, for the joy that is set before us. I mean, it's the same principle. As we look ahead to what we are going to experience in him, with him, that gives us the strength to endure the pain of living in a broken world. That makes sense? I think it's the same principle. I really, I really think it's the same principle. I, I've, I've, I've experienced that. All of us have to, in a, to a degree. And as we go through more painful experiences, we learn it more deeply. We just begin to understand it and, and learn it more deeply because we're, we're, we're living it. And so as Paul writes to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 12, he writes, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. We're able to rejoice in the hope that is before us, even through the tribulation, remaining patient through that tribulation. Because of who he is, what he's done, the promises he's made, and his faithfulness to keep those promises, we can have that. And, and Peter says something interesting here. He says, if need be, if in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. There's the idea of needing to go through trials and needing to, to grieve through those trials. But it's interesting. We need trials in order to, in order to grow in our faith. In order to become the people that God wants us to be, that he has in mind. It's like the, the potter and the clay, right? The potter, God, has in mind what he wants to make us to be, but we start off with just a lump of clay. Then he starts cutting pieces away and pounding us and softening us and molding. I mean, it's a good thing that we can't hear clay talk or, or scream or whatever. But... It's, a, it's, the same, it's the same kind of thing. And so it's not a comfortable thing being formed into something different than what we actually have been. But thankfully, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the forming aspect of all that is consistent with the reality of who we have become as a new creation. You know, this, this um, idea of grieving, it, it speaks of being sorrowful. Um, in Matthew 26, 37, we, we see that Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes uh, Peter and James and John with him. And in that, in that verse... It tells us that he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. That word sorrowful there is the same word as grieve here in 1 Peter 1.6. So in having to do with Jesus and what he was about to experience and the sorrow 
and, and, and the distress that he was going through, it fits in here with the idea of, of, of grieving over trials as, as we do. 2 Corinthians 6, three, uh, beginning in verse 3, verse 3 and 4, and then verse 10. We give no offense in anything, but that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, tribulations, in needs, in distresses. Then going on to the 10th verse, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And as we look at these passages, as we look at what Peter is, is writing of, we see the reality of suffering as well as the reality of glory. That for Jesus, as with the rest of us, the suffering comes before glory. The suffering brings the glory. The suffering is a foundation for the glory. And without the suffering, there will be no glory. In the same way that, you know, uh, in a few months, and we just had Christmas a short time ago, but a few months we're going to be celebrating Easter. But there is no resurrection without death. That, that's what life is. No suffering, no glory. No death, no resurrection. And, and we have to accept that. As Americans, we, well, I think it's just our human nature. We want to try to avoid it, but Americans market it. You know, market the idea of how we might be able to not endure suffering, but to avoid it, to stay away from it. You know, and, you know, I, I, th I think it's a sad thing in many ways, the way that our culture is so wrapped up in that. Especially, especially physically, you know, I, um, all of the billions and billions and billions of dollars that are spent in our culture on plastic surgery so that we can look younger than we actually are. I think it's sad. I think it's sad. And I, I, and I do want to share a word with, with, with all of you. I, um, I understand how culture affects that. And I understand also, I, I think that culture preys on women in particular because of the security issues that are inherent in, a, in, in the makeup of, of women. God has designed something to meet the needs of, of fulfilling that, that those needs so that the, the security is safe. God has designed something for that. It's a person. His name is Jesus. But there is also a very uh, a tangible way that he meets the need in a very practical and even a physical way, uh, uh, emotional way in, in the life of a woman. That's called a husband who gives her the same security by loving her in the same way. You know, I, I mean, the, having been married for over 50 years, 
there are plenty of times that, that my wife would share with me about Let's say complaining. I, I I think she was. She was complaining about her tummy because it didn't look like it did when she was sixteen. I have to go way back with her because we started having babies really early. But you know, I, and I would share with her. I said, "Honey, I I, I love your tummy. Oh, kid, I no, honey." I see that, and I think of the three beautiful children that were born through your womb. I mean, you know, and th- that, that's, that's really what, guys, that's what we need to do. A- and guys, instead of looking at uh, uh, the, the way that actresses look, and I, I mean, I'll bring up porn. None of that's real life. And for a husband to place the pressure on his wife to look like those women who don't even look like that, and, and especially the way, I, I mean, you, you see something on a video, you don't know what's real and what's not with AI and all that stuff. It's like nothing's real anymore. Let's not do that, guys. Let's not do that. They, my wife, your wife, needs to be loved simply the way they are, even as God loves them. I didn't intend for this to be a teaching on marriage, but it's something that that, that applies. It's something that applies in that sense. And so as we look at these, these ideas of, of, of the trials and the testings that we go through and all this, living in this world, a broken world, everything falling apart, our bodies fall apart too, you know, and I mean, gravity takes hold big time, you know, and when your body comes to 50, 60, 70 years old, it's like, it's, a, it's just not what it was when it was 20 and 30 years old, it's just not. And if we'll just accept it, we'll be much more healthy, emotionally, I think, and physically too for that matter. Because I think all the things that we do to our bodies surgically to try to fix it bring issues later. So, you know, let, let, let's just accept things as they are and let's use God's means of fixing the problems. Now, verse 7, the genuineness of your faith. He writes the ge- that the genuineness of your faith, these trials are necessary that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith, that's something that God is wanting to test when he brings trials to us. He's testing the genuineness of our faith. And genuine faith will grow through the testing. Genuine faith will pass the testing. Now, it could be that the same kind of test has to be given to us a few times before we actually pass. But we will grow through the testing 
And the result that God wants is found at the end of verse 7 there, that it, they may, that it may be found, the, the genuineness of your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that he might be praised, honored, and glorified. God has given you life. He's given me life. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the ability to grow so that we will be used by him to bring honor and praise and glory to him. And as we set in our hearts, Lord, I want to just live my life in such a way that you are honored, that you are praised, that you are glorified. If that's our mindset, looking at the things above rather than the things below, understanding that the things below God uses to bring that, that means we will welcome them. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, as James writes. Which can be a difficult thing. Yet, as we know God is going to use it for us to bring us and make us like himself, which is our heart's, which is our heart's desire, then we can consider it joy. But that genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes. Now, wait a minute. Does gold perish? Can gold be destroyed? It can't. The only thing that will destroy gold is some kind of a nuclear uh, uh, situation with it. In fact, I look. I look. I I, I asked that question can, I, I, on the internet. Can gold be destroyed? And it referred me to a company called Manhattan Gold and Silver. Manhattan, of course, right? And let me read th this excerpt from that. It says, the only way gold could truly be destroyed is through nuclear reactions. However, there does exist a way to dissolve gold by using aqua regia, which is a mix of hydrochloric and nitric acid. It will dissolve it. Even so, it doesn't mean that the gold is destroyed after exposure. After dissolving, it exists as gold particles in a more widely dispersed form. Fortunately, the fact that gold is extremely difficult to destroy is a good thing. If gold were to disappear, we would see devastating consequences. Aside from the negative effects it would have on the economy, how we manufacture electronic devices would have to be completely reimagined. We would even see special treatments for diseases like cancer and arthritis disappear, gold is an extraordinary precious metal that is here to stay. But I mentioned earlier the fact that all the earth is going to melt with the fervent heat. Peter writes later in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements with felt, with, will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, including gold, at that time. You know, maybe the means by which God is going to do that is going to be some kind of a, a nuclear event. I don't know. 
but what our scientists have discovered that a, a nuclear reaction is the only way that gold can be destroyed. That's why it's so valuable. It can't be destroyed. Your faith is more valuable than that. Your faith is stronger than that. Indestructible. If it is a true faith, it can't be destroyed. That's one of the wonderful things about being a believer, about following the Lord, and, 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 and that faith that, that he's given to us can't be destroyed. You know, and they can throw you in prison. They can take everything away from you. They can take away your Bible. They, they, you can be in solitary confinement for the rest of your life. Your faith can't be touched. Right? Of course, that is one of the valuable things about memorizing Scripture because who knows, we might not be in a situation like that someday in the future. Oh, how we need to hide God's Word in our hearts that we will please Him and honor Him. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. That's fun. But there was a real furnace a few thousand years ago that three men were thrown into that it did not affect. Right? The three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made. He threw, threw them into the fire. The men throwing them in died from the heat blast of heat because they heated it up seven times the, the normal heat. And they're in there walking around in the midst of this fire, and they, they say, what's going on? And there's four guys in there. Didn't we just throw three? And Jesus, you're standing right there with them. I'll be with you in the fire. I'll be with you in the flood. What an awesome God we serve. What an awesome God we serve. So that's God's goal, but... We've got to remember something, and I, I like what Warren Wiersbe wrote here. He said that, he said, but suffering does not automatically bring glory to God and blessing to God's people. Some believers have fainted and fallen in times of trial and have brought shame to the name of Christ. It is only when we depend on the grace of God that we can glorify God in times of suffering Peter at the end of 1 Peter in chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 writes but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you've suffered a while perfect, establish strengthen and settle you to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever Amen May he establish, strengthen, and settle you, perfect you after you've suffered a little while. Suffering's normal. It's one of the things I, I, it's one of the things I enjoy about that Ecclesi Ecclesiastes 3 passage uh, in regard to the um, seasons of life, to everything. Uh, 
a, a purpose under heaven and all. You know, and then it lists all those things. The very first thing is a time to be born and a time to die. And all those things, including that, that follow, it's just a normal part of life. Normal part of life. Even a time to kill and a time to heal. Hmm. Interesting. Believing, even though we don't see him, we rejoice. Having not seen him reminds us of John 20, verses 27 to 29. Jesus' second appearance to all the apostles, this time Thomas being there. He wasn't the first time. But here in chapter 20, verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's us. Not seeing, yet believing. And, and one thing I love about this passage, just a quick comment on what Jesus did for Thomas. Obviously, Jesus knew what Thomas had said after his first appearance before all, all of these disciples. Tom, Thomas wasn't there. They told him about it. And he basically said, yeah, right, I'll believe it if I can just see his scars, put my hand into his side. So Jesus said, look at my scars. Put your hands in my side. In other words, he will meet you right where you are with every doubtful thought you may have. If you are serious about that. He'll meet you right where you are. I love that about that passage. But we love. We love him even not seeing him. And and. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, we see a test for whether or not we really love God. John writes, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You know, I have, I have heard it said from... Um, young pastors. Um, I shouldn't say put that in the plural, but I think it's, uh, I've heard it more than once, but not a whole lot, but I've heard it said, you know, I, I just love ministry. People I have a problem with. You know, and, and as a young person, just not understanding what ministry actually is, and that, that's what it is, ministering to people, serving people. But we see that, that God commands us just as people, not, not even not as um, preachers, not as pastors, but every one of us as a servant. He tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then in 
Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, we see these words. Uh, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? One of the Jewish rabbis. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We're commanded to love each other. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If I love Jesus, I will keep his commandments. And the second commandment that he gives is to love each other, for us to love each other. If I'm not doing that, I'm not following his commandments. And and I'm showing that, well, maybe I don't really love him like I think I do. Right? In John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. Jesus speaking, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And so it's a command of God. It's a way that we can show that we do love him. But getting back to what Peter wrote, even not having yet seen him, still we love him. And we experience a joy. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The idea of inexpressible, something that you can't speak. It's unspeakable. I just don't have the words to express it, right? I don't have the words. But but the topic here is the joy is so great I cannot describe it with words. Now that's a wonderful thing there. I, I, I think the question is, and, and, and th- that's what's written on, on that uh, sheet in your bulletin, just a question, have we yet begun to really experience that kind of joy? A joy that is so great that we can't, that we don't have the words to describe it. That's a kind of joy that is available to us in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter writes of here. As we focus on the gift, as we focus on the inheritance, as we focus on the promise of salvation, all that that means. And of course, we also have to remember the reality of what Jesus has done for us to accomplish it, that gives us a a deep thankfulness to him and for him. And at the same time, an, an understanding that I am a sinner who deserves absolutely nothing. No, wait, I do deserve something. I deserve eternity in hell. And Jesus did all that to purchase me for himself that I can spend eternity with him. Does that put a smile on your face? Does that give you joy in your heart? See, that's what we need to continue to look at. What Jesus has done for us. And then as we see verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. And that, that's just speaking of the reality of at the end of it all, it's all going to culminate, culminate in us being with Christ forever in that new Jerusalem, in the, the, the new heaven, the new earth that's going to be created in our new bodies, totally, to being able to totally and completely fellowship with him, serving him, whatever that's going to look like. It, it, it's, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Are you guys looking forward to that? Keep your eyes on that. Let's keep our eyes on that because that will enable us to experience the joy that God has given to us, the joy inexpressible. Um, F.B. Meyer wrote this, It is possible in the darkest hour that ever swept a human life to bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you learned this lesson yet? Not simply to endure God's will, nor, nor only to choose it, nor only to trust it, but to rejoice in it with joy unspeakable and full of glory. As I shared with you, I, I think I'm learning that. Because I, I really do. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm missing my bride, when, when I, I, you know, I, I was just sharing with Tracy. I, I was out in Phoenix the last few days, Thursday through yesterday, drove home yesterday, and, you know, I shared with her, you know, I, I, I miss being loved by your mama. Probably the thing I would miss most. You know, I, I miss being able to love her, but to be able to be a recipient of, of her love, you know, I miss that. But again, when I think about where she is, in his presence, where there's a fullness of joy, how can I not want that for her? I do want that for her. Would I want to call her back? Oh, I miss you, hun. Come back. No. As David said, when he was when he began to mourn the death of his child after he died, he said. He's not going to return to me, but I will go to him. And I know that's going to happen. I know that sometime in the near future, I don't know how long it's going to be. When my dad went to be home with the Lord when he was 94, my mom is 89 right now, and she's still with us. I got a few years, unless something weird happens. I think I got about 20 years left, at least. But at the same time, I'm saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know, I mean, you know, we, we do that. But I'm, I'm learning this. So as I think about my hope, my bride doesn't have hope anymore. She doesn't need hope because she's already experiencing hope. When I think about that, it's like, okay, I'm good. I'm okay. And smile can come on my face. I mean, really, really experience joy and the salvation. Verses 10 to 12. This isn't going to take long, honestly. Because what we see here, verses 10 to 12, let's, let's read those verses again. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired 
and search carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look to. There we see Peter writing of this grace that we have received. At the end of verse 10, they prophesied of the grace that would come to you, the grace that would come to us, for those of us who have received Christ, for the grace that has come to us. And they talked about it, they wrote about it centuries ago, not understanding exactly what they were writing about. And they searched for that, they inquired, they prayed, they wanted to know, but never learned, but they did know that it was for people later. It's the mystery that, that Paul writes about to the Ephesians. You know, the, the mystery of the gospel was not understand, understood then, but now he's made known to us. That's, that's what he's talking about. But also we see the continuity of the work of the Spirit in all of it. The Holy Spirit in them writing these things that he would bring to us and give us an understanding of. Uh, we, we see in, in, first, in Second Peter, later on, uh, Peter's going to write Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the writers of the Word of God moved by the Holy Spirit to give the Word of God, we receive the Word of God, and as we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God gives us understanding of the Word of God, gives us a view of, of who Jesus is, reveals Him to us, and then come, brings us to a place where we understand our need for that salvation that He has brought. And then we acknowledge our need. He enters into us, and then he begins to teach us the truth uh, of, of the rest of the scripture that we need to understand, and as well as giving us the enablement, the power to live our lives accordingly. It, it's all the Holy Spirit. It's all the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and they didn't fully understand, but they would. Not yet. We do. We understand the gospel. But there are plenty that we don't understand, though. 
We will understand certain things later. And I think there's just a lot of things that we never will understand because even in our glorified bodies, we still are going to be human beings with limitations on our cognitive skills. We will be able to fully embrace Jesus, fully experience him, but to actually know what he knows, no. He's, he's infinite, we never will be. So I think that's something that's just a part of this as well. But in all of this, in all of it, I love what, what we see Peter writing there in verse 10. At the end of verse 10, when he writes, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Guys, grace has come. God's grace has come to you and to me. Amen? Let's never lose sight of the reality of God's grace. And let's never lose sight of the role of the Holy Spirit in all of it. God is just so amazing. He's so good and he's so kind. So filled with loving kindness and mercy toward us. Oh, let's appreciate that. Let's embrace that reality. Let's love him. Even though we haven't seen him, not with our physical eyes, but we've seen him with the eyes of our hearts, haven't we? Father, help us. Help us to love you, your son, even your spirit more and more and more. As we begin to understand more and more of your, of your grace and, and your your love that you have shown to us, Lord. And even as we do love you, Lord Jesus, not having seen you, yet, Lord, we understand the truth that we love because you first loved us. It always begins with you. It always begins with your love for us the grace and mercy that has that has flowed through you because of that grace and mercy that comes from you. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that every person in this room, as we endure the hardships and the struggles, the pain, that, accompany li that accompanies life in this broken world. Might we be strengthened by the hope that lies before us. Lord, might we be strengthened to endure the difficulties of this life and live our lives in such a way that you receive all praise honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus, your Son. And so, God, have your way with us, we pray. We thank you, we love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys.